There is no trap so deadly as the trap you set for yourself. Raymond Chandler, The Long Goodbye. Hello and welcome to Brett Easton Hell Yes, the podcast where every week we take a deep dive into one of the works of controversial Gen X author Brett Easton Ellis. I am your host, Katie Wright, and this week I am joined by a wonderful dear friend of mine. <laughs> you know her from Twitter. <laughs> you know her from her contributions to Vox and to Paste. You know her from her super funny sketch group, The Burbs. You know her probably most of all from uh, co-creating the fantastic podcast Arden. Sarah Gollum is with me. Hello, Sarah. I am with you. Hello. (laughs) So nice to have you here. Uh, uh, Would you say you're most famous for Arden? What do you think is your claim? I mean, I... I hope so. A lot of people have listened to it. Um, more people could listen to it if you were listening to this. I know that you have podcasting. <laughs> you have access to podcasts. I'm on to you. Uh, yeah. Please you- download Arden. You don't have to listen to it. Please download it. Uh- <laughs> oh, that's a hot tip. Yeah. <laughs> Would you say you're more famous for Arden or for that uh, tweet about cold pockets? Um, let's delete that. <laughs> I have, I have PTSD about that oh, tweet. Oh, no. Because, like, everyone, I got so many replies from people that will, uh, don't look it up ever. But, uh, <laughs> um, basically, I said that, uh, comedians who, uh, complain about, like, PC culture, uh, aren't funny. Uh, <laughs> which, is and, which is a fact. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And uh, a bunch of people, uh, came. I just like, I got so many replies being like, what about George Carlin? What about Richard Pryor? And I'm like, name someone who's alive. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I personally killed George Carlin <laughs> <laughs> by not thinking it's funny to say the N-word uh, and then complaining that you don't get laughs on stage when you say the N-word if you're white. Uh, <laughs> I know it was it was just annoying to me because like I am a big Carlin fan because Carlin at when he was doing comedy was saying things that wasn't popular and it's I know that there's like pushback but there's like nothing more popular than upholding the status quo of oppressing minorities (laughs) it's actually very popular I cannot stress this enough if you're like Oh, if only I could say something bad about trans people. It's like, great, great news for you. Um, Every law upholds that. (laughs) You're not pushing the envelope. Uh, I'm sorry to leave that hold there. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, just I do know who George Carlin is and you're not him. (laughs) If you can't name someone who's currently making comedy (laughs) that... I'm like, oh, you got me. Then you probably don't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> yeah. Well, on the topic of, uh, of people who think they're pushing an envelope but are just upholding the status quo, what's your history with Brett Easton Ellis? Um, like, none. I saw that sketch that was like, Brett Easton Ellis does a CW show, and I was like, nice, nice. <laughs> I have seen the movie American Psycho. Uh, this is the first book I read, uh, even though it is a sequel. <laughs> and you know what? You know what I liked about this book is it was a weirdly comforting that I had always known I wouldn't like a Brad Estenellis novel, 
because I imagined it would be a certain way, and it is exactly <laughs> bad in e- just specifically the way I assumed. <laughs> and that's very comforting to have a baseless negative assumption completely validated and fair. Uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> it's so- not. It's not even worse than I thought it. Would. It's not like one of those things where it's like it is exactly the amount I thought I would not like it <laughs> in exactly the way I assumed. <laughs> Outstanding. Uh, so what are the, what are some of the things? that you uh, knew you would hate about Brady Snellis that <laughs> that the prophecy held true when you read this um that it's like very dry just like stating things mm-hmm. um about like rich people who uh do drugs and have sex but like don't seem to enjoy doing drugs and having sex but also like keep doing them um <laughs> and it's just like just very much about boring rich people but like also every so often it's like here's something unpleasant and that's it yeah it's, <laughs> that way it was just the the just total lack of inner life of any of these characters was exactly what i assumed <laughs> <laughs> uh, outstanding yeah um so have, have we it- mentioned what book i'm making oh, fun of oh my boo- god <laughs> Well, it's going to be the title of the episode. Okay, great. Uh, <laughs> We're talking about Imperial Bedrooms. Yeah. <laughs> um, anybody who is a Brady Stanellis fan would have figured it out. Anyway, because it's his only sequel. Oh, there you go. There you go. Although, in another sense, all of his books are kind of sequels because he always reuses his own characters. Um, but this is the only one that's an out-and-out sequel. Um, so, having not seen the movie less than zero and not not read the book less than zero um what what was the experience for you like uh reading the opening of this novel that is talking about the novel and then the movie less than zero it was it it was kind of annoying to just like have references to things and then not feel any need to explain them in any sense because I feel like usually like I, I've read series before, and so usually when like they bring someone up, they'll it it would normally be like Blair, whom I broke up with under these c- circumstances. <laughs> um, not a lot of that here. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I still. The thing is, after I read the book, um, I then I want to once I was in it blind and realized I was reading a sequel because I hadn't until like twenty pages in when I was like, mm, feels like I'm missing something. Uh, <laughs> I, after that, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to experience the novel blind, take it 100% on its own merit. Um, after I finished, I read the plot summary of Lesson Zero, and I was like, oh, some of those references make more sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mostly j- just that Rip is a monster. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did figure that out of this book, but I was like, oh, there's layers to it. Uh, he's <laughs> doing new terrible things. Um, I will say there were lots of references to things that had happened in like the past few years that he does not elaborate on in Imperial Bedrooms, and I had kind of been assuming that those things were things I was supposed to know, and they're not. They're clear. <laughs> the clearly less than zero takes place quite a while before this, so... All that stuff about, like, that actress you beat up two years ago. I'm like, no, that was just 100% new information. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the thing. Um, Brett, 
he does there is definitely like you're missing some stuff if you don't know anything about less than zero but that's also just the way he introduces new characters and new information is just being like oh she's here and like (laughs) i guess you'll figure it out as you go along like who she is and why this is significant and and like that's fine but i feel like it's kind of annoying to do that in a sequel because it does force people reading it to be like oh wait do i know about that (laughs) yeah it's just like it's a little annoying in the context of a sequel. <laughs> yeah, I get that. But he's yeah, he's like very low exposition in general. Um, so I on I really like the opening of this book. I really like the way it sets up uh, the relationship that this book has to the existing novel and movie because Clay co- comes in here and he says back in the eighties some guy I kind of knew wrote a novel about me <laughs> and all my friends and everything that happened in the novel really happened to me but the like inner monologues that he attributes to me were not really my thoughts mm-hmm. uh, and then he's like and then they made a movie and the movie was really watered down and shitty which is also how Brett feels nah. and also how any reasonable person would feel it's not a good nah. movie <laughs> um, and he he says like uh, the author the author described me as being like su- uh, super hot <laughs> but, <laughs> but I wasn't I was just like average looking but he made me this like uh, sexy like bimbo <laughs> to like <laughs> make fun of me and I think it's really funny that he says like I actually look more like the guy who played me in the movie than I look <laughs> like the way the author describes me so it's like he's like it's like Brett Easton Ellis is like, you're probably going to be picturing Andrew McCarthy because you probably saw this movie, so I'm just going to let you picture Andrew McCarthy. Yeah. <laughs> so in all of those ways, I really like I really like this setup of this novel. I think he handles it really cleverly. Okay, yeah. Knowing the context, uh, that is... I do like that. Perhaps with that, that's a fun little meta thing. Yeah. And I, I didn't have any... I, having watched all of Gossip Girl <laughs> and being disappointed that the inside movie never got made, it I got a little little thrill of like, oh, this is doing that thing where people have to watch a movie made about their dumb 20s <laughs> that I have always kind of wanted to see played out all the way. Because I feel like TV shows are always like, they're going to make a movie about us. And then it, they never really do anything with it. And I think it is pretty interesting that the the idea that there's a movie about you yeah. uh anyway i'm i'm on board first first bit with the movie theater i'm i'm down for <laughs> um and i also really like that he he doesn't name brady stanellis but he just like calls him the writer um but he's like he's like he implicates the writer as being like part of all of the horrible things that happen in less than zero he's like the, the writer was there like watching the snuff film with me mm-hmm. Um, which I, I feel like is Brett kind of trying to like do away with this impression some people have of Less Than Zero as being like a moral critique. I know you mm. haven't read it, but it depicts like a lot of very horrible things happening. Mm. Um, and, and some people think that, that Brett is actually like a very like moralistic writer who's mm. like, these are the excesses of the era. So I feel like that's him being like, no, actually, I have no moral stake in anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that's fun. And <laughs> I think it also um, seems true to Brett. I don't think he seems like a man who cares about ideals or right. <laughs> uh, so... This, 
kind of centers around Clay, who is old and gross now. Um, how do you feel about Clay as like a main character and a narrator? Could you call him a character or a narrator? <laughs> <laughs> Youch. <laughs> I okay, so like this uh there's a bit at the end when he um he's talking uh this girl who he's like really fucked up and uh he's like rain yeah rain uh and he's like you missed all the clues about me and she's like i didn't miss them i just <laughs> uh-huh. and it felt like the novel was kind of trying to be like oh you thought I was a good guy, but I was a bad guy all along. But, like, the thing is, like, there's never a point in this novel where, like, I am given a reason to... And, like, perhaps this is... If I had just fucking loved Lesson Zero, maybe I would be super attached to Clyde. But, like, there's never a point where I'm I'm given a reason to be, like, Clay's a good person and I have a stake in his morality. Or I have, or I, I'm trusting this guy. There's never like a point where he's not like a little shitty. <laughs> um, so while it's like surprising how shitty he is, I'm never, I'm never like, I'm never invested in the idea that he's not shitty. Mm-hmm. Like it's no, it's, <laughs> it's not like Leslie Nope. And it so it feels like a twist that like has just no resonance. It's like if there was like a movie where they're like they're trying to figure out like who betrayed the group or whatever and then it's like it turns out it was that chair and it's like none of us were caring about (laughs) none of us were watching that chair for (laughs) there was just no reason to give a shit about what's going on in his mind considering that the book never lets us know what's going on in his mind (laughs) yeah that's so interesting i honestly never thought that the like you missed all the clues about me moment was really supposed to be any kind of reveal because clay is so shitty from the very get-go um and like in the in the book when he says that rain is like no i didn't so i'm not (laughs) but just like the the gradual descent into shittiness in some way felt like it was trying like feel like it started so nothing so that it could build to how awful it gets yeah and I think it does a good slow build, but I don't think that there's any purpose to the slow build because no expectation is getting subverted at any point. Mm, that makes sense. <laughs> it's, yeah, like it, it's, you just, uh, you say, you're like, this will probably just continue to get gradually worse. And then it does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it does, it does really like follow the structure of, of the novel Less Than Zero in that way. But in in the in less than zero, Clay is uh, a passive a passive observer to like horrible things happening and the horrible things that he allows to happen get worse and worse. Yeah. Um. So then it's like, uh, like it starts like the first bad thing is like he watches a girl like shoot up heroin, like one of his friends. He watches her yeah. like, shoot up heroin, and then like the final bad thing is like he watches a group of guys he knows like gang rape a twelve year old. Um. So, and there's, like, you know, a progression of, like, worse yeah. and worse things. Um, 
So this is like this is like it starts with him do it's instead of his like the things that he passively allows it's like the things that he actively does like getting worse and worse like okay. he starts he starts out like stringing a girl along to to sleep with her because she thinks yeah. she'll get a part in a movie and then it ends with him like sending one of his best friends off to be murdered and then like raping two teenagers in the desert mm-hmm. um um but so I think um yeah it maybe doesn't work as well on its own because it's just like oh this guy who was pretty shitty (laughs) ended up being actually very shitty um but when you take it as like a whole piece with less than zero it's like it kind of starts as like a a kid who's just like I don't know what to do I'm at this party and something bad is happening and then it like ends with him being a full monster which is maybe a slightly more interesting uh, trajectory (laughs) 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 or maybe not (laughs) um but yeah definitely you're never you're never supposed to sympathize with clay at any point in this book um but I do I feel like I think he's a good main character I feel like I've known so many clay type dudes in my life and I'm not even a Hollywood actress (laughs) Um, but I feel I feel like he really feels like yeah that kind of like creepy older dude who's like I just want to be surrounded by younger more attractive women and feel entitled to their time um, I don't know. I feel I he really is disgusting and horrifying, but I feel like he seems really real. I feel like I really couldn't get a sense of like any like opinions he has. Mm, okay. <laughs> sense of it. I and also just I I can tell that there is that the author is trying to be like he's a hypocrite and that's why you know he'll be like I'm like this and other people will be like you're not like that but it also it doesn't help if it's not like a very well-defined character to have everything about him be contradicted in some way at some point (laughs) um it doesn't help me get a firm grasp of that character (laughs) I'm having trouble thinking of a time when when he's like I'm like this and somebody else is like no you're not can you think of an example off the top of your head it's okay um, you can. I'm sure it happens. Okay, well, this is this is a different uh, problem I have with the book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the they kept they kept pointing out that the book isn't a movie, which uh-huh. is, is a thing I hate in movies. Uh-huh. <laughs> fucking hate it when there's a movie and it's like zombies aren't attacking. This isn't some fucking zombie movie, but like actually you are watching a zombie movie. Get it? Uh-huh. Just it's not. It doesn't add anything. <laughs> but see here, here it's actually not a movie because it's a novel. Hmm. No. Um, okay. I. Okay. I'm actually thinking of a different time. Julian was being mean to him. Uh, okay. There's a, there's a scene where Julian's like um, a time when a character contradicts him is when Julian is like. Um, you always say that you're gonna help and you never help. Mm. <laughs> like um, and really like lays into him for like everything you act like you are trying to do is like you're just not like that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So that's that's the big one because that felt like an important scene, and I just feel like in general, like every time he'll like try to do something nice or whatever, people are like don't do this. 
Um, but the the scene the back to the in the movie thing. Um, yeah, it's like Julian said, uh, "Look, don't try to connect it all." Um, why not? Uh, said Clay. <laughs> I, I added the said clay for you guys. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much. This isn't a, this isn't a script, Julian says. It's not going to add up. Not everything's going to come together in the third act. <laughs> you know, just like right into a book being like, if this was some dumb movie, I would explain what was going on. <laughs> but it's a book, so it's actually deeper if I don't. Like, don't write in actually me not doing this thing is better (laughs) (laughs) like either you do it either you write it the way you're gonna write it and you have confidence in that or if you have doubts that it's not gonna work just try to make it work I don't (laughs) you don't need to write in something being like actually I very on purpose intent it's like this because it's not a fucking dumb movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah Brett definitely loves writing um things that don't come together in the end that don't explain themselves uh and that maybe maybe don't make sense or that require a lot of thought to make them make sense um and I feel like in some of his books uh there's just kind of like no there's no even attempt at like a cohesive plot it's just like this is a series of things that happened and then in some of his books where he's kind of like borrowing the style of a genre. There's sort of like a nod to the idea of plot, but his version (laughs) of plot is just being like, oh, then this guy betrayed this guy, but it turned out that behind that, a different person was involved. I know none of that scans. Now the book's over. Um, And I, I, as I was reading this book for most of, for most of it, it had been a long time since I'd read it and I was not sure how I was going to feel about it, but I was like, holy shit this is Brett's best novel this is gonna be a five-star novel and then like and then like three quarters of the way through when it starts to be like no it's not about you Clay it was never about you it's about Julian and then like oh Blair was behind the scenes I was just like this bullshit is so boring Brett doesn't know how these things come together why is he wasting my time making me try to figure out how they come together um, and I just really, I honestly feel like this book was like excellent until like, I don't know, it's like 180 pages long. So until maybe 130 pages in and then Brett's like, oh, got to wrap everything up, but not really because I'm Brett Easton Ellis and I'm just going to throw a bunch of shit at the wall. And he really fucked himself over. That's how I feel. I have more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I back away from grip, unable to mask, mask my loathing. What movie do you think you're in? Uh, maybe one of the crappy ones you've written. Uh, he says, <laughs> not laughing anymore. <laughs> well, then who wrote this clay? Oh, um, and it also feels a little extra annoying. Um, <laughs> now I've got this like theory that maybe, here's a, here's a crazy meta theory, is that because I... Um, I'm also a screenwriter. Actually, everyone who reads this book just sees their profession being made fun of. Because <laughs> it, feels, it feels like a personal attack on me as a writer. I'd <laughs> be like, well, I mean, what do you expect? It to make sense? Like some sort of dumb screenplay? You fucking dumb screenwriter? You dumb piece of shit screenwriter? It's not like that. And I wonder if I was like an accountant, if it would be like, oh, you think it's the lines would be like, not everything's going to add up like one of your spreadsheets. 
maybe it's truly an eye of the beholder thing. <laughs> I absolutely love that theory. I will say that Brett loves movies possibly more than he loves novels. He that, write, that tracks. <laughs> he writes a lot of, of screenplays. I, very few of them have been made. Um, uh, and he, I think... I think all of his movie talk is truly coming from a place of love. Um, but it is, I think, ill-advised. Yeah. Yeah. Every, uh, like, even during the the beginning sequence of this book, when I was, like, fully on board and thought, like, oh, my God, is this my new favorite novel? Um, whenever it did that, that like, it's not a movie thing. It really drove me up yeah. the wall. Yeah. The, the not a movie thing is a pet peeve of mine. I will say I have no objection to the plot of this novel. Oh, um, okay. I can easily imagine a version of this. Like, I feel like there could be like, oh, if a really, there could be a really good, but like faithful film adaptation mm-hmm. that I'd be totally on board for. Yeah, I could see that too. Because um, it's a lot of it. A lot of my objection to this is just like the... They're just not being able to, like, connect with characters. Mm-hmm. And, like, I've read books with, like, dark characters. And I, like, love shows and movies about, <laughs> like, really dark shit. <laughs> um, so it's not like I couldn't I couldn't even get into the mind of this creepy rapist. Because it's like, that's, like, a half of literature. Because right? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think there's a very funny very good novel I enjoy about a guy who's just trying to bang this actress and who stumbles upon a criminal enterprise (laughs) and like some sort of Coen Brothers like John Malkovich was in it oh Brad Pitt uh, uh, Burn After Reading Burn After Reading yeah like oh I haven't seen that that's like the only Coen Brothers movie I haven't seen I really like it, um, and I like it because it's just a bunch of idiots in over their head, and like some of the idiots are involved in like high level government shit, and mm-hmm. some of them are just like working at a gym, and I so I can there's a version of this book, this or this story, there's a version of this story that's you know from the perspective of like one of those people who doesn't know shit getting involved with the people who uh, getting real in over their head. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to read another thing I I took a screen cap of because it really bothered me. Um, (laughs) Get his ass. Yeah. Trent breathes in and looks around. You don't understand this thing. It has a scope, Clay. Trent stops. It has a scope. (laughs) There are other people involved and it's... Can you just answer my question? (laughs) (laughs) But you're asking for an answer where there isn't one. And that's something that to me would be very funny if like I was able to connect with Clay and thus able to connect with his frustration in that moment. But since I can't connect to Clay and his frustration in the moment, I'm like desperately trying to cling to like this plot and the plot is in no way clear or ever makes sense. Uh Which I think would be fine if it was about someone who also... If I was connecting to someone who also didn't understand it. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm just watching stuff that doesn't really make sense and I'm I don't know I wasn't wasn't into it <laughs> yeah I do like I obviously enjoy the works of Freddie Snellis a lot yeah. that's why I started this podcast I figured but I, I, did, I did not <laughs> know I was tempted to sit down and like apologize for this thing <laughs> no but like every complaint I've ever heard about him has been 100% fair <laughs> 
<laughs> um, him and his work, both wildly problematic. And I don't really describe his work as problematic in like a moral sense, just like artistically problematic. Like there's always a lot of bathwater around those babies, nah. you know? Um, but um, th- this is something that I've, now that I've been like really closely thinking about Brett's work, I've been like, you can almost never connect to anyone like um and I think that's maybe maybe partially by design and maybe partially just like how Brett is and how Brett writes and he can't help it because like most of his characters feel profoundly alienated and alone and it's like they can't even connect to you the reader and you can't connect to them um, and I feel like everybody I know who enjoys Brett Easton Ellis is like, oh, no, no, you can't. I don't connect to the characters. Like, I find other things to enjoy. Um, and I do. I feel like Brett is the only writer. I, I said this on the last episode. Um, he's like the only writer I really enjoy who I'll read his work and be like, I didn't connect with or identify with any of those characters. But there's just like something else going on that pulls me in. But I can totally understand, you know, not picking yeah. up on that other thing because connecting with characters is a big thing. Well, just because, like, the because is not really a payoff to the plot, mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels like the payoff should be somewhere else. <laughs> and the feels like the payoff should be somewhere else, and it's not. I, I'm not entirely clear what the thing was that I was supposed to be uh, tracking or <laughs> connecting or enjoying. Yeah, <laughs> and it is weird. It is weird that the plot feels so confusing and unsatisfying because there really are, like, a bunch of pieces there that, like, should be able to connect. Like, they're, like, really pushing this whole thing with, like, the car is following him, and right. I don't... I mean, maybe if... Another thing that is frustrating, just inherently, is I feel like there is an explanation for the cars and what's going on. Because it's like, I haven't, I didn't notice any, like, contradictions. So it feels, like, a little extra frustrating that I'm like, I bet that bastard did plan out a very good (laughs) conspiracy theory plot. And he knows it, and I never will. (laughs) But honestly, knowing Brett, I bet he didn't. (laughs) Um, I, I keep it like it makes me angry to imagine that he actually fully knows everything that's going on in this book. <laughs> don't worry, I don't think he does. <laughs> but it does it does feel like Clay delivering Julian to the hands of like gangsters working for Rip, uh, who then uh, who then murder Julian, uh, so that Clay can get a girl who then he ends up not getting anyway. That feels like the okay. That should be like a good like twist, like climax and twist. But somehow there's just something about the way it's done that you're like, what is any of this? Like, I do. Just, I do feel like if the book had started like 15 minutes before that car thing, and that one, then it just went to the end, and it was like a short story. I'd be like, okay, that was <laughs> that was a deeply unpleasant thing, but. Stuff sure did happen. <laughs> you got me there. This is a book about a guy who's shitty. Uh, th- this is a, this is a short story about a guy who's shitty, and he keeps getting shittier, and he gets away with it. Done. Yeah, I've read those. Great. This I've recognized this. <laughs> 
it was having to read about everywhere he drives in Los Angeles for 100 pages before then that really made me angry. <laughs> this is so interesting because it feels like we're on the same page and yet I'm saying like, oh, I hate the end when they like throw all the plot out there and you're like, <laughs> you're like, I wish they would get rid of all the stuff before <laughs> that has no plot and just bear it down to the plot. Look, I... Like we could either, split this into two separate works that each of us would be happy with. But together it's trash. make me feel emotions or have something happening, okay? <laughs> I'm not... I watch trash I know that you usually only get one of those (laughs) I because I've never read read any Brett Estenellis but I read a lot of Chuck Palahniuk and Mm, say what you will about Chuck Palahniuk but like stuff is always happening in those books (laughs) too much stuff I would consider it a problem how much stuff is always happening in those books Uh, let's take a break (laughs) when we get back we can talk about the ladies in this book Yeah! (laughs) Hello, listener. Do you like a scare, a jump, a fright? How about Maine? How do you feel about Maine? If any of those words made your heart skip a beat, then I've got a podcast for you. King Me is a monthly Stephen King podcast where I, Tom Lockney, and a guest watch through a theatrical adaption of a work by everyone's favorite Northeastern author, and talk about it with a little help from the source material. So, if you're feeling particularly brave, join me on my descent into terror on the Major Casts Network or wherever you find podcasts. So, I want to talk about... Sorry, my dog is right up in the mic because if I don't hold him, <laughs> if I don't hold him dearly to my breast, he will try to bite Sarah. <laughs> yeah, little Harvey has um, a real vendetta against me, and I have done nothing to deserve it. it Absolutely is, nothing. It is a vendetta he has against most of humanity, though. Okay. So, <laughs> kind of anybody who doesn't live in this house is on the shit list. Um, so, I want to talk about um, our our leading lady, Rain Turner. Yes. Who is the focus of so many men's attention. <laughs> um, so she uh, she starts sleeping with Clay to try to get a role in the movie that he has written. We also learn eventually that she has a romantic slash sexual history with Rip Miller uh, and that she is the current girlfriend and also employee of Julian, who is a, a like high class pimp. Um, so like three three of our main characters are all are all obsessed with rain. Yeah, they gotta have rain, 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 rain. Um, and she also <laughs> used to sleep with uh, Kelly. Who oh yes. dies. Kelly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kelly who died before the events of the book. Um, and who it seems, whose death seems like it might have something to do with the the goings on, the the malevolent uh, figures surrounding Clay. The connection is not really that clear until yeah. like towards the end, <laughs> if ever. Um, uh, so yeah, everybody's all about Rain, but she's not a good actress. And she is too old because she, I think she's like 25, right? (laughs) She's going out for a role that's supposed to be like 19 or 20. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But she's like mid 20s, um, (laughs) which which is like, 
I pretty clearly like intentional irony yeah from Brett that like th- these old ogre men who are like <laughs> pushing 50 and have yeah. bad plastic surgery are like oh this beautiful 25 year old girl is over the hill yeah. um but uh, how do you feel about Rain as a character? I will say the the other version of this exact same plot that I deeply enjoy is about, it's just from the perspective of Rain and Amanda. And for that, I'll be honest, it wouldn't have had to do any, uh, uh, it could stay just as service level as this novel and I'd be so much more into it because <laughs> I would be able to easily project things onto them. <laughs> Oh, two women running some sort of sex work slash uh, takeover Hollywood scam. How interesting. <laughs> that would be interesting. Also, they're definitely like got hands in the mom and they know what dangerous people are. They're, they're active participants in this novel. Um, so I think they would have been much more interesting protagonists and you could have told, told the exact same story. It could have been a, I think that would have been a more interesting sequel setup too, to be like, it's about the characters from Less Than Zero. From the perspective of one of their victims. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, too late now. Uh, too, too late now. It, it happened. It's mm-hmm. hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Brett will only, and he has said, he will only write uh, books that are a male narrator who is the age he is when he's writing, dealing with the problems that he is dealing with at the time of the writing. <laughs> Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> the only exceptions are like Rules of Attraction is like two dudes and one female narrator, and then like The Informers is like a bunch of short stories, and there's maybe like a third of them are female narrators. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's not not big on the female perspective. Um, I feel like that's just one of those things you say <laughs> too, where you're like, oh, I mean, I'm only doing this unless I feel like doing something <laughs> else. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, but I I feel like. One of Brett's, like, biggest failings as an author is kind of his disinterest in uh, women, <laughs> uh, inner lives of women, even oh, the outer yeah. lives of women. Deeply uninterested in her inner life because she's <laughs> so clearly got more stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but we really don't – it's like she's she must have personality, thoughts, ideas, <laughs> but we really don't get those – we really just get her kind of like trying to be flirty with clay and then like being (laughs) like crying when things don't work out and she's kind of she's kind of like for somebody who has so many schemes and is so active clearly in her own life she's like very passive in this story um and I feel like I feel like all of the men who are like I I want rain no I want rain um I don't feel like any of them could put into words like why they want her. Yeah, I found that annoying. It's one of those things that I I was not into that I I understand could arguably serve an artistic point, which is that she is never described. (laughs) 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 There's just like obviously she's like young and sexy, but I feel like I I don't even recall like any real specifics about her body <laughs> yeah I mean I think they say she's blonde I think that's yeah. like it and I, 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 I feel of, like she was blonde I but feel like, like I remember Clay saying she has like the body of a teenager which is gross yeah and I like also I don't fully know what that means <laughs> I know right like does because it was like there's sort of like the the prepubescent like gymnast body of like uh, like very uh, slight breasts but like a small hips thing but like yeah. also body of the teenager could just mean like 
seems young and like pokey like right. i like it could mean okay i want to see um, if i can find it i do feel like talking. she was described as well but i i mean like his his attraction to her body is not even gone into in detail right. which yeah, i mean might just like, be brett being like i'm not even gonna pretend to know what <laughs> wanting to fuck a girl is like <laughs> <laughs> and i respect that because uh the <laughs> <laughs> he had only like officially come out a couple years before mm-hmm. this novel so maybe he was like i spent years pretending to know how to be attracted to women <laughs> i'm not gonna do it <laughs> for one more minute yeah and, and he should have just written a gay novel yeah. He uh-huh. even like they clarify that Clay does this repeatedly and he does it with both actors and actresses. So it easily could have been a story about Clay sexually exploiting a male actor. I, I do <laughs> I do feel a little bit like the one show at scene where he uh he said he like makes a young threatens the career of a young girl <laughs> young dude to uh to bang him. Uh, felt like there was just a little bit more energy in there. <laughs> yeah. But also maybe that's me being like, oh, something is happening. You had a goal and you put it into action and now it's happening. And that only took like two pages. <laughs> uh, Might have just been me wanting the plot to move. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think those... Having finished the novel and knowing that what, realizing that what Clay wanted from Rain was never about sex, what was just about um, ruining a person for no fucking reason, I can see the artistic merit of not, like, justifying at any point why he is attracted to her or what's interesting about her or, like, what's, what's so hot about that chick. It's one of those things where, like, on its own... I think is good and then just with everything else it just leads to me being like I just wish you'd give me like something (laughs) (laughs) yeah and you know like just just Clay being like she's the one because I picked her and I want to destroy her life like yeah totally scans but then like also Rip is like you know I'm super wealthy super powerful and I could have like any number of of interchangeable like beautiful actresses um but I just want rain and I think he says like he actually flat out says like there's no reason that she is special but I will kill however many people I have to kill to get her Um, not not just that he does divorce his wife which they earlier in the novel say that will like cost him a shit ton of money (laughs) yeah and it's just like I mean I I believe that like I could believe him going through those steps but I would just expect him to be projecting something onto her I wouldn't expect him to be at a point of being like she's interchangeable with a thousand other women but I'm gonna fuck up my entire life just to get her like I would expect him to think that he thinks she's special yeah (laughs) but he doesn't and it feels to me kind of like she's a human MacGuffin like just for plot reasons everybody had to want her so it's like okay that's the thing that everybody's trying to get (laughs) which is very frustrating Yes, I will. I will say that um, everyone in this novel talks exactly the same way. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as like speech patterns and exa- and also like personality and type of observation, like it, the way they say things and also these sorts of things they say are identical. And I had my impression of Red Esnellis doing a. Uh, of him writing like satires about like very empty vapid people sort of 
primed me to assume that he's doing something artistically by being like all of these people are actually just like really boring and talk the same and they don't have personalities um still not fun to read (laughs) um i i I get it like that's a valid point rich people are boring (laughs) uh did find that a little frustrating so like rain when she's pretending the like little act she puts on is at least a little distinct Mm -hmm. (laughs) her like floaty like oh you're crazy so like just like the clear annoyance when she doesn't want to do something is like okay you're like a person who tracks so slightly differently from everyone else because you want something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. God knows what Blair wants at any point. Right. Oh, my God. It seems like... It was, it was Trent. It was Rain and Trent when, when they're talking. I'm like, this is this reads differently than when other people are talking <laughs> and no one else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it seems like at the end of the novel, like Blair has orchestrated at least some of these uh conspiracy goings on um like I didn't fully pick up on it but I was just reading the wikipedia because I'm not really sure how the plot plays out Um, basically at the end he's walking with Blair to her car after she has agreed to be his alibi um mm -hmm. and he's like why the fuck would you do that um she's agreed to be his alibi in a situation where that would uh, also give her an alibi even though, like, obviously she wasn't physically there because so, uh-huh. he was. Um, but they're walking to his, her car and she has the same car that he's seen following her. Right. Follow, that this She has the car that he has seen following him. Right. Um, so there's that. I mean, yeah, if so I'm going to give like this novel a ton of credit, I could say that it was, like, kind of about how he's never gonna he's always gonna feel followed Mm. and uh all everyone in his life like just like oh it could have been her and just that idea planted of like he's never actually like going to trust anybody Mm, yeah (laughs) um and it does end it ends with like the truth is i'm afraid of people oh my god that's (laughs) the worst that ending makes me want to jump off a cliff yeah that was very dumb because i'm like at what point did that come up like one yeah. also like you're afraid of people but you also well get dinner with a murderer right? <laughs> yeah i mean i guess if i knew the people that clay knows i would be afraid of people too yeah um but yeah i want to read the ending paragraph yeah, because do I, it. I think it's the worst writing of brett's entire career okay There are many things Blair doesn't get about me, so many things she ultimately overlooked and things that she would never know, and there would always be a distance between us because there were too many shadows everywhere. Had she ever made promises to a faithless reflection in the mirror? Had she ever cried because she hated someone so much? Had she ever craved betrayal to the point where she pushed the crudest fantasies into reality, coming up with sequences that only she and nobody else could read, moving the game as you play it? Could she locate the moment she went dead inside? Does she remember the year it took to become that way? The fades, the dissolves, the rewritten scenes, all the things you wipe away. I now want to explain these things to her, but I know I never will. The most important one being, I never liked anyone, and I am afraid of people. Just, just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's completely, u- like, a useless paragraph. Like, you could easily just cut that shit yeah. out of there and end at the end of the previous paragraph yeah. with, like, him getting into the car. 
And like that, I never liked anyone and I'm afraid of people shit reminds me of like a bumper sticker I owned in middle school yeah. that said like normal people worry me. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's the level of uh, depth that Brett is in at this point in his career. And it just boggles the mind. I also, I think you, uh, <laughs> you make a good point that it's like, yeah, if starting in your teens, everyone you knew were like started like bragging about being a rapist, you also wouldn't like them. That's <laughs> just a reflection of the people you have. Yeah, right? Like that's it. I feel like ending it and having the ending sentence be "I never liked anyone and I'm afraid of people" makes it sound like he has this like intriguing pathology where like he's you know there's so many characters on tv where they're like they'd be great if only they could learn to trust (laughs) which is dumb Uh. but uh (laughs) at least it's like a thing where it's like because of the way i am wired i i can't do this and it's just some fundamental like mix up in how i am and it affects me and it's complicated and this is like no that's just a very fair reaction to what you're dealing with so it's not even an interesting thing about you or specific (laughs) it's like well you honestly give people too much credit and you trust them too much yeah. based off of everything I've just read. <laughs> yeah, and I can I can kind of see it connecting. It's, it's kind of answering a, a question that hangs over less than zero of like, because Clay is in a much more like gray moral space in less than zero. Um, and there's, and you just like in this book you don't get that much of clay's inner monologue you don't get that much of it in less than zero either he mostly just kind of like tells you what's happening um and there is kind of a question of like does he care about anything does he care about anyone um like does he care that 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 julian is like slipping into um sex work and like being being trafficked and like forcibly like getting addicted to heroin like this is his best friend does he care he could intervene but he's not um and you kind of end in a place where you don't have that question answered and you're like like is he like a sociopath or is he just kind of like a victim like what's what is he um so in a way I can kind of see that ending being like okay now I'm giving you the definitive answer he never liked anyone (laughs) he never gave a shit about Julian he never gave a shit about Blair but like (sighs) convey that in some other way <laughs> don't like don't make me read that garbage paragraph yeah and it, it does that thing that that bothered me earlier is that he's he once again is like Blair overlooked these things about me and it's like you, it assumes such a depth of character to uh, to imagine that people have a very detailed perception of you and that they are and that is and that they are missing the real more elaborate perception of you because that it's an assumption that's like I definitely have two versions of like (laughs) I have two personas and it's like you please give me one have one persona if you're gonna go around being like because it's again it it feels he has like to me like the depth of a chair is it's like you would never guess what the chair is thinking. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't. They've <laughs> never been given a reason to think my chair is sentient. <laughs> yeah. it's, I'm not miss. I like, yes, if, if my chair had thoughts, then I would be incorrect about my assumption about it. But I'm, I'm not overlooking clues. They're not there. <laughs> yeah. And in the book's defense, I do think like, 
play is supposed to be a like a self-obsessed egomaniac who like thinks he's thinks he's more interesting than he is but i like i also wish that in the narrative there were bits where he was hyping up how interesting he definitely is you know it's like he's he's looking around at like the part and being like unlike me i do this it just feels like he's he's not even interesting to himself which i mean i guess is its own message (laughs) yeah uh, yeah (laughs) have have a different perspective (laughs) yeah um I do, while we're talking about Clay's pathology, um, I do think that he it, he stands apart from Brett's other narrators, um, he, which you would not know because yeah. you have not read Brett's other work. Uh-huh. Um, but he, uh, except for maybe the Rules of Attraction characters, but he's a rare type of Brett Easton Ellis character because he's actually like obsessed with another person. Mm-hmm. Um, like his fixation on Rain is is really like unique because most of Brett's like vile sociopath characters are like all people are equally interchangeable. Like, yeah, just like throw them at me and let me destroy them. Yeah. Um, but he's like, no, I picked one person and I'm going to fuck with her life. Um, so that's, I don't know. I don't really have a particular like take on that or thing to say about it. I just think it's interesting. And I do sort of think that that's a more interesting type of lunatic creep. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is part of my frustration here is I think there is something truly horrific about the fact that he had his best friend murdered so that he could more satisfyingly rape a woman one time and then leave because <laughs> it's like the the reason why things don't work out like he he has julian dragged off in front of him um and then he goes straight to rain's house and she's crying and he um rapes her um clearly very excited that he has let her know that he has killed Julian. <laughs> like the the thing he is getting off of is like, you hate me and you are devastated and I am going to force you to have sex. Uh, like and not and he's not even like convincing her. Like he usually, de- he's raping her earlier by threatening her, but this time he's actually just like physically raping her. And she's crying and she's devastated and all this stuff. And it, and it's so clear that that's like, that was all he wanted. And he was willing to kill Julian to get her that sad so that it could, so that he could do something that bad to her and then just move on to some other people that he could torture, which is like interestingly chilling, especially considering that he, he tortures those uh, teenagers and he doesn't feel any need to have one of his friends killed to get that accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's finally chilling, but it's like, well, let me see, like that dude, and I, like at least let me into the mind of that monster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me, don't make me have to read about where he's drive. I I live in Los Angeles. I drive around Los Angeles. I've actually I learned to drive so I can move to Los Angeles. So I've only driven here. I don't know where these streets are. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Yeah. It's it's such a weird thing to be like, I definitely am, I drive in LA and I don't give a shit. So I can't imagine how boring this would be if you like lived in Nebraska and you were reading this novel and being like, is that is Orange Grove means something to me? Or <laughs> Yeah. 
you know, I've read this book twice. I read it once as a New Yorker who had never been to LA, mm-hmm. and then I read it once as a new Los Angelino, and I've honestly never been bothered by that stuff. Um, but I, I feel- think it bothers me. Uh, maybe on some level, I feel like he's giving me directions. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's like when I say that I'm on La Cienica, you should know what the where when I say I'm at the light at this cross <laughs> intersection, you should picture it. And I'm like, oh man, I don't. <laughs> don't you have ways? <laughs> probably not. I know this was. I don't know when this came out. Probably <laughs> 2012. Like, okay, I have no idea how new ways is. <laughs> Me neither. I wasn't driving in 2012. I yeah. lived in New York. Mm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> That was a very boring aside. I apologize. <laughs> uh, can I point out something that yeah. let me know immediately I was going to hate this book? Yeah, okay, me. two things right off the bat. Um, perhaps you were listening and you're like, Sarah, you just don't get it. Uh, you're if you if you really got Brett Snellis, you would appreciate that this is a brilliant novel. Um, and. Fair enough, because I did go in with some strong bias, because uh, it opens, first page, the dedication, histories repeat the old conceits, the glib replies, the same defeats, Elvis Costello, beyond belief, and then lower, there is no trap so deadly as the trap you set for yourself, Raymond Chandler, the long goodbye. <laughs> what, what is this doing? What is this accomplishing? <laughs> I honestly, I, I honestly don't know why you. it's here. And having read the novel, I continue to not know why it's here. <laughs> um, it just seems like two things that he has read or listened to before. Okay. Well, okay. Let me see if I can unpack this a little bit. So no, I, I'm just saying I don't like it. I'm okay. sure it serves a purpose. <laughs> I just want to say, I think that history repeats the old conceits, the glib replies, the same defeats is sort of, so it's about like the cyclical nature of history. Okay. And, and then Glass of Zero is also named after an Elvis Costello thing, after, yes. which I did learn on Wikipedia after <laughs> I read the book and already hated it. <laughs> Less Than Zero is a really good song. Imperial Bedrooms is an Elvis Costello album, okay. and Imperial Bedroom is an Elvis Costello song. Mm. The song Imperial Bedroom is not very good, but the song <laughs> Less Than Zero is great. Um, but in in Less Than Zero, they're all like the main characters, Clay and Co, are all these like young young uh, hot people being taken advantage of mm-hmm. by like exu- st- studio execs and like pimps and stuff. Uh, and then in this book, they have all grown into exactly the thing that they were victimized by when they were young people. So I think that, I think that that quote kind of speaks to that. That's interesting. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's no trap so deadly as the trap you set for yourself. Well, the record Clay is fine at the end of this novel. Yeah, so. but I guess maybe <laughs> Julian set a trap for himself. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure what that's. Sure, I know. <laughs> Probably somebody set a deadly trap for themselves in, in you know, this. It's weird. Uh, <laughs> I have only heard like two Elvis Costello songs, neither of which are uh, involved in this uh-huh. uh, book series at all. Uh, <laughs> I have read The Long Goodbye. <laughs> oh, how is it? I haven't read it. <laughs> it was fun. I mostly just wanted a sense of uh, Raymond Chandler, and I was like, yeah, okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> I don't really know any Raymond Chandler. My only exposure to him is... Um, that epigraph and his uh, uh, Birdman. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he writes. Uh, he writes old uh, 
Well, oh, I mean, I guess seen... they were new, newer when he was writing the. Uh, he sure. writes Los Angeles noirs right. uh, about detectives and weird rich people and right. you know gamblings and scandals and murders. I just remembered <laughs> I have seen a couple of the movies. He wrote like the Maltese Falcon, right? No, that was Dashiell Hammett, but he wrote The Big Sleep. I think Raymond so, Chandler yeah. wrote The Big Sleep. I saw The Big Sleep. Okay, I get it. Yeah, Bogart. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, okay, second huge warning sign okay. uh, before you read a, a word of the actual text of this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, just um, There's the back cover mm-hmm. of uh, the hard copy of Imperial Bedrooms. We have the same hard copy. Yeah, and they're both from the library. Oh, yeah, that's good old Los Angeles <laughs> Public Library. Yeah. Support your local libraries, yeah. guys. Uh, God, I would have been furious if I had paid money for this. <laughs> <laughs> um, the back cover is full of praise glowing play, praise um you know uh delirious for um, a different yeah. book yeah and it's for a different <laughs> book that's the thing is i i read this and i was like oh i mean these are like pretty intriguing reviews like oh man stephen king <laughs> <laughs> um yeah the the first word on the review page is sublime and then I, like, realized that it's not for this book. <laughs> and it really made me wonder if they couldn't get quotes for this book or what. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's I, a little it's a little uh, weird to be like, man, think of what a good book you could be reading had you not picked up Imperial <laughs> Bedrooms. <laughs> yeah. You know, I read some interview. I read some uh, reviews of this book and they were all negative. Yeah. <laughs> um, but people claim that the reviews on this are mixed, but I don't know. Mixed means bad, though. That's the thing. It's like <laughs> mixed means a mixture feels like, of reasons to hate it. Feels like no one's saying like there are real mixed reviews about Get Out. Like <laughs> because generally people liked it, and then some people didn't. But generally, people like, mixed is a way to ease the it was bad thing. Mixed is like teach the controversy you know yeah. it's like hey, hey hey make up your own mind before you decide <laughs> whereas if something's good people will just tell you it's good <laughs> yeah also i noticed this today on the inside flap there's kind of a, a rundown of of what this book is going to be and it's just oh, describing the plot this. <laughs> it, but the the final line of this thing after it describes the novel to be found within it says a genuine literary event <laughs> <laughs> which I think is a hilarious end. God, I want to I, I want to say that every time. Like I want to like give my like niece or nephew like a book and be like, you know, inside every book is a genuine literary event. <laughs> every book is a party that you're invited to. All you need is your imagination. It sure is literally a book no one's gonna say it's not a book so it's genuine it is literary it is a book and it's an event if you choose to make it so yeah genuine not a lie in there no just a completely empty phrase that means nothing yeah a genuine literary event seems to be saying like you know love it or hate it it's significant but also like it wasn't really it didn't stir up like a cultural conversation like it wasn't a literary event unless every book that comes out is a literary event i mean I, I have a, there's a nonsense phrase I use, um, I mostly talk about TV, and when I, and I'll say that a TV show is, like, really good at being a TV show, or 
uh, I'll say that it's really bad at being a TV show. And I realize, and that's one of those things where I realize it means nothing. But it's what I mean by it is like there is a form of there's like the platonic platonic ideal of a TV show, mm. <laughs> and how closely it matches that, regardless of your personal opinion on the quality. Gotcha. <laughs> um, and uh, I think this is very much like the sort of. I think maybe it's just trying to be like, it's definitely the kind of book you imagine when you think of a literary work. (laughs) (laughs) Like, love it or hate it, it's the kind of thing where you're like, you can argue about it on a podcast for an hour. Or (laughs) be like, "Mm, what did you think? I read mixed reviews. (laughs) It's very very much a literary book. (laughs) Work of literature, <laughs> which is funny because it's one of his one of his less literary novels. I would say it's more. There's nothing on the page, quite <laughs> frankly. It's nothing, and then the the Julian murder happens, and then he's torturing some teenagers, and then he uh, doesn't get caught, which is yeah. I like a good story about someone not getting caught, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, I wanted to what say what might have been. There's a version of this. The I liked the plot. It's so weird to have liked the plot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to say so at the end when he's getting into the car with Blair, she's like, um, he's like, why would you? She's like, I'll give you an alibi, and he's like, why would you do that? And she's like, uh, so that I can get what I want from you. And then it's like never stated what that is. Um. Are they together romantically at the end? Is that what it is? Is that what she wants from him? I mean, I think that's what he thinks she wants. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no doubt in my mind that in his, that from his perspective, he's like, uh, and now I'll have to finally be Blair's devoted boyfriend or else I'll be convicted of murder. But he's also one, like, he's going to get bored of that. He's going to forget that the stakes are him going to jail for murder <laughs> and just, like, cheat on her or treat her like shit immediately. Because <laughs> he seems very forgetful about consequences. <laughs> um, to, uh, if she actually did mastermind a scenario where she had several people brutally tortured and murdered to get a guy she dated a while ago into a corner where he would agree to date her um as like an extramarital affair um that seems that seems too elaborate, uh, <laughs> yeah. and I'm and I'm into how elaborate that is. That and it's, uh, that another a very interesting novel I'd love to read instead. But <laughs> it feels like if she if she set up all that other shit, she probably has an even more elaborate end game of like how he's going to get her to someone she wants more. <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't know it. <laughs> yeah, if like if he thinks that she's. Uh, an insane criminal mastermind I feel like he's probably just paranoid but like it would be a great direction for Blair for her to be like a full on Bond villain I would love that because I think she's pretty fucking boring and I would really love I mean, for her to be behind all this. If she's been circling these sociopathic criminal masterminds her entire adult life then it either you know you leave or you learn. Those are the two <laughs> options. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I guess that that's really the moral of the story when we get down to it. Either you leave or you learn. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 
we talked a little bit about the uh, horrible sexual violence in this book. Um, I'm curious, do you think that that works in the context of this story, or do you think that it is in poor taste or somewhere in between? What do you think? I mean, I'm... Well, ge- generally, I would not seek out work that uh, had uh, had some dude give some teenagers some laxatives so he could fuck them and shit. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't shock me. It was something I like. Kind of was prepared for having seen the American Psycho movie, um, which obviously, like American Psycho, is like much more graphic than this. <laughs> Um, you think the movie American Psycho is more graphic than this? The book is definitely more graphic. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the movie is less graphic, but I guess it kind of just depends on what you're what you're zeroing in on in terms of graphic. I mean, I think those, those graphic in terms of uh, literally like what is being described as happening and graphic in like what you assume is happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. And I think American Psycho is like, there's a lot more like really bad shit that you're like, oh, that definitely was much worse than we saw. Right, yeah. (laughs) American Psycho, the movie, I feel like really is really like slick and like the the kind of like unacceptable things are really like stylized out of, out of like coming at you too hard. And and it's been a while since I've seen it. So it's it's more (laughs) like I remember that there were like, prostitutes and like wires and hooks or whatever and I in my mind is like probably that got really bad (laughs) right yeah Um, yeah and in the in the book it's like now we're gonna talk about the wires for a while but in the movie it's like he took out a wire and now like cut to the next day if I was his editor and I was like determined to get this to be a book that I would be into which is you know it's his novel and he does I know I've like given a lot of notes, but it is I, I respect that this is the novel he wanted to write, and it's not mine. <laughs> I'm uh, please hire me as a script consultant. <laughs> I like to give notes. Uh, <laughs> I, I respect that you know it wasn't written for me. <laughs> if I were to make it into something that's more traditionally like I would view as a, a more effective, I think. Um, the horror of what he does to rain should kind of be like the pinnacle that I think that should be the highest point in the book. Um, Cause it's, there is a, a building of insidious behavior where like he is definitely like coercing her into sex, but it becomes more and more um, explicit that he's like co- uh, coercing her into sex um, with like, you know, it seems kind of harmless to be like this actress will sleep with me if she thinks she'll get I'll get her an audition and there's no reason to break that illusion if she wants to try to use me um you know that's us both using each other and then him lying to her more and more and then him um threatening her and then does the bit where like he makes her come to a party and then he won't let her go to the and she doesn't want to go and then she shows up ready to go, and he's like, no, no, I have to fuck you first. Yeah. And she's uh, like, also just as a woman being like, uh, like, just the annoyance of being like, I already did makeup. You're right, yeah. <laughs> um, like, of, uh, this piece of shit doesn't even understand what, a ha- what an inconvenience it would be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, 
there's the bit where like she's really upset because her friend is missing and he won't let her look for her friend because he's making her hang out with him and then she's like crying as they fuck and then ultimately he like he rapes her at the her lowest emotional point ever um so there's like an insidious building and then after that it cuts right to him torturing some teenagers and it feels a little like Oh, it feels like it kind of undercuts the earlier shittiness to be like, oh, man, that's so bad. Oh, I guess you just kind of do shitty stuff like this all the time. Uh, and again, maybe that's like the point, but it felt. Mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, didn't didn't do it for me in terms of like what the viol- what the what the violence was like saying. <laughs> yeah, um, felt like it could have just been that gross the whole time. I don't know. Um <laughs> Also, yeah, the stuff he does to Rain isn't very graphic, usually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it cuts this very graphic thing, so it does feel a little out of place. Um, yeah, that's that's fair. And it, again, with me just wanting stuff to be happening, like, it was a more interesting <laughs> section. As deeply unpleasant as it was, like, I have read a lot of disgusting things, so it's not like it shocked me. I was just like, ooh, maybe one of these teens will escape, or they'll do something, or maybe they'll kill one of them, and they'll have to hide the body. <laughs> and now the girl being like, well, I, I believe in God now, because I believe in the devil, and it's here. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's dumb, but that sure is a more interesting scene than anything than people in Los Angeles talking about where they drove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it, it felt out of place... In a way where I didn't understand why it was there. Like, usually if something's out of place, it's, like, too effectively do so. I don't, I don't, right. know. I don't know. I didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I didn't get it, but I didn't get it. I want to just be very clear that I wasn't, like, offended by okay. it. And I was, like, oh, if I was, like, a real, really got got literature or wasn't a prude, I'd definitely appreciate that because I did think it was much more interesting than most of the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I honestly, I really like the part where he's torturing the teenagers in the desert, um, but it is... It's, ha- it's dynamic. It's dynamic. You're like, and- what's going to happen here? Yeah. There's a kennel? <laughs> and I feel like... Would he get the money for this? <laughs> yeah. And I feel like Brett <laughs> Brett has written a lot of um, sexual horror. Uh, and I feel like this is the first like sequence in his career that I feel like push pushes me to like the absolute extreme of like what I could accept, like of like how horrified I could be. And still be like, I'm enjoying reading this book. Whereas, like, American Psycho pushes, like, far, far beyond that. And it's like, this was just a horrible experience yeah. that'll haunt me. Um, so, like, on its own, like, in a vacuum as, like, a vignette of sexual horror, um, I feel like it works really well. But, yeah, in the context of the book, it's like, why why, why this? Why now? <laughs> why, why these two? Um, I guess credit where credit's <laughs> due. It did, like, check me out. Like, I think the entire uh, build up to the book maybe just checked me out enough that one that was happening, I was like, sure, we'll just get through this chapter where we have to do this. And yeah, we'll get down to the next thing. Yeah. Um, Is boredom an effective? (laughs) Yeah, Brett, I think Brett relies on, (laughs) relies on manipulating the boredom of his reader. I guess I can't think of like a it, it feels like I've read more disgusting things but I think I have I think there were less disgusting things that I was just more invested in <laughs> yeah um it's interesting 
it's interesting hearing you talk about the way you're talking about kind of the trajectory of his interactions with rain um like i hadn't really thought about it in that way but it is kind of the book is kind of making an argument of like these behaviors exist in a on a continuum like together like Sure, yeah, Mani- I knew yeah. that. Like, Mani- I, I know people are creepy and right. shitty. Like, that's not... <laughs> <laughs> right. But honestly, honestly, the book making a case that, like, okay, like, getting somebody to, who doesn't want to sleep with you to sleep with you because they think that you'll give them something yeah. that you're not going to give them um, exists on a continuum with, like, pinning a woman down and, like, physically forcing her to have sex with you um, is, like doesn't seem like a thing that Brady Stanella's real human being necessarily believes. <laughs> um, which, it, oh, see, I just, like, I was like, <laughs> that's just a fact we all know. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so this, this is a theme that has been emerging throughout this podcast is that Brett's works are smarter than him and say things that he doesn't understand that he's saying. Um, because, he is very much I keep oh, I keep complaining about his relationship to the Me Too movement, but it is just so egregious. Yeah. He he keeps being like, oh, boo hoo. Somebody touched your junk and you didn't like it. Wah, wah, wah. Just don't go to that party, you pussy. Um, and then this so is like, <laughs> don't go to the party before or after someone assaults you. <laughs> At what point are you have the option to not have gone to that party? Is it yeah. just don't go to the next party? Yeah. Because maybe no one assaults you there. I don't <laughs> This right. is a weird Monty Hall problem. There are three parties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you didn't get assaulted at this one. Do you want to go to party two or do you want to switch to three? <laughs> yeah. And he's also, he's also That like, is just what living, that's just what being a human is like. Right? Is like, which of these doors won't get me assaulted? There's <laughs> no way to know. Yeah. And people get mad at you if you pick the wrong one. <laughs> right. Yeah. And he also gets mad at people for saying that, like, um, being being groped is assault or that, like, uh, that, like, uh, it's predatory behavior for somebody to, like, hold rolls over your head, uh, like, not not cast you unless you sleep with them. Like, he's like, oh, boo-hoo, that's just show business. But this seems like a book written by somebody who's like, these things in show business are bad and predatory and toxic. <laughs> Uh, it's just, uh, that's fair. I, I, I don't know what's, just, I don't know what's wrong that this stuff was bad. Yeah, and these people bad. like this. <laughs> it's bad and I, the novel seems to know that it's bad. Perhaps but. had I only learned about Hollywood through black and white cinema, <laughs> I would read this novel and it would be a rude awakening. <laughs> Though in that sense, I wonder if, it going so far almost undercuts that point we just made up that he was making, mm-hmm. which is like that it's to the end goal of being a cre- like a mm. creepy perv, where because it's like, well, if someone uh, you know offers to take you out to dinner to discuss the role before you got it, like you, they're probably not a torture murderer, so. <laughs> That probably means they're not going to do the other stuff on the continuum. (laughs) (laughs) Not the case, not the case. (laughs) It might also be that, you know, he wrote this in 2012, which, while it wasn't that long ago, was before, like, a lot of 
open secrets that have now become just open facts uh, had been revealed like Harvey Weinstein had been outed and um it it is Brian Singer funny that he keeps mentioning Kevin Spacey but in a very abstract sense yeah (laughs) yeah and it seems like that might be intentional because yeah uh, I mean because everyone knows yeah it's so weird when people in Hollywood, I, I know obviously like actors for the sake of their career need to be like, what? <laughs> That's fair, but it's it's very unbelievable when it's like, so just so we clear me as like a teenager, just uh, it was like into like comic books and uh, Buffy and like chat rooms or whatever, like. I knew about Kevin Spacey and Brian Singer, but you, someone who spent a lot of time in Hollywood working with him, you had no idea. You'd never heard. Somehow, I got a direct line. I, I knew about Louis C.K. in high school, but I'm the only one. I, I was the holder of the secrets, me as a powerless teenager who didn't live in, who lived on the other side of the country. Did you really know about these things in high school? I didn't know about any Maybe of Maybe like early college. I'm yeah, I'm a gossipy I person. About, okay. <laughs> I heard about Louis C.K. a few years before Louis C.K. came out, but the other ones I didn't hear about until they were it like. It was like the news. only thing. I, okay. Um, oh no. Okay. Brian Singer wasn't in high school because Brian Singer is a a producer on House in some capacity, so oh, his right. name's on the credits, and it took me a while to associate the stories with the name I kept seeing on that show gotcha. um so college I found out about but still yeah. <laughs> you knew me in college it was a while ago yeah <laughs> you were not an Let's... industry insider in college yeah <laughs> not like you are now not like I am now yes yeah but Brian is very openly like oh I knew like Brian Singer in particular he's like oh I knew about Brian Singer for years Brian Singer would invite me to his to his teen boy parties and I would be like mm, no thanks um, yeah <laughs> so he Brian like, Singer was not hiding right back yeah. from anyone <laughs> except apparently every actor right yeah <laughs> um all right well Sarah is there anything in this novel you want to talk about that we haven't touched on yet I've so annoyed about those fucking cross streets in LA it really it really got to me <laughs> so fucking boring um yeah I don't know I <laughs> don't at me <laughs> I will not um Okay, so in a moment, we are going to rate this book. But before we do, um, I like to try to pull up any of Brett's relevant tweets about uh, about the material at hand. Um, he doesn't really tweet that much anymore, but for a while he did. And he was a very active Twitter user when this book came out. Um, so here, this is, I think, his best Imperial Bedrooms tweet. Um, he... Uh, circa 2012 was very into tweeting about the 26 year old who was his 26 year old boyfriend um the it was he started as the 25 year old and then he became the 26 year old Mm -hmm. then the 27 year old now he's just the millennial he's still the same guy but he's not bragging about him being 32 (laughs) Um, i I, I do like the just the commitment of like (laughs) he went from the 25 year old to the 26 year old to the love of my life (laughs) (laughs) weirdly romantic (laughs) um so this is a tweet of brett's from uh Oh God, I'm just, I'm looking at the number and my brain is trying to do math to figure out what month it is. October. 
I was like, 10, December. No, it's not December. What is it? December. No, stop thinking December. Um, This is from October 7th, 2012. According to the 26-year-old, Imperial Bedrooms is one of the best Hollywood novels ever written. This is just cute. That's very nice. That's what his boyfriend has said. It's very nice. I'm also, you know what, to be entirely fair, I don't think there's like a plethora of good Hollywood novels. I mean, mm-hmm. none are coming to mind that are like directly better. I think there's some good yeah. like L.A. novels because L.A. has the whole like noir thing going on. Right. But, um, Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, I can't really think of a Hollywood novel off the top of my head. Fair enough, you know. <laughs> so, thin field. <laughs> thin field of competition. Um, so, no, I'm being mean to him, but like uh, credit where credit's due, I can't think of competition. <laughs> um Brett's boyfriend is named Todd, um, no. and he Brett sometimes will will talk about he talks pretty often about like watching movies with Todd. Like Todd's never seen any of the classics, and he'll just be like, "I'm making I'm making the millennial watch Scarface for the first time. I'm making the millennial watch The Godfather. I'm making the millennial watch Citizen Kane or yeah. whatever." Um, uh, and it seems like a lot of their relationship is built around Brett making Todd watch movies yeah. and Todd being like, "Okay." Um, so I wouldn't hate a, a rich boyfriend who just like showed me movies that I ne- <laughs> I've been meaning to see. Um, so you know what? Actually, on retrospect, my ideal relationship is just someone who adds me money and then um, <laughs> sends me links to where I can watch movies for free. <laughs> that sounds nice. <laughs> um, the, so the thing I wanted to say about him making Todd watch movies is um, there's a part in this book. Let me see if I can pull it up where Clay and Rain are are watching a movie together. OK, it's this part. During the last week of December, if we aren't in bed, we're at the movies or watching screeners. And Rain simply nods when I tell her everything that's wrong with the movie we've just seen. And she doesn't argue back. And Brett would have been writing this like around the time he first started dating Todd. And I was like. I think that moment was inspired by real life. I think Todd is right in that situation, but probably only that situation. Uh, all right. So, Sarah. Yes. Uh, let's rate this book on a scale of one to five. It can be one to five any elements from the story. I think I'm going to write, I'm going to rate it on a scale of one to five black Jeeps. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I, on a scale of one to five black Jeeps, um, as I said previously, uh, when I, for the majority of my rereading of this, I was like, oh my God, is this, is this Brett's best novel? Is this novel perfect? Because I felt like he had really, he had really perfected like the Brett Easton Ellis voice that I'm into. Um, and I, I, I was like, oh man, I feel like every novel he's written was just like honing, honing that Brad, that Brett Easton Ellis vibe <laughs> to get to this point. And he's, he's done it. He's done the perfect Brett Easton Ellis novel. Um, but then a little bit more towards the end sort of starts to fall apart and gets very frustrating. Oh, and that final chapter is simply unforgivable. I'm not final chapter, that final paragraph, just yeah. unforgivable. <laughs> I am afraid of people. Come on, Brad. Um, so for yeah, that, me too. You're not <laughs> right. special. Uh, Everyone in LA is afraid of being, yeah. come on. <laughs> so for that crime, I will dock it significantly. And I'm going to give this book three and a half mysterious black jeeps. Uh, Sarah, what's what's your what's your rating? First of all, are you gonna do black jeeps? Or are you gonna pick a different scale? <laughs> <A> different thing. <laughs> I'm gonna rate it on a scale 
of ghost subplots that are never really resolved for no fucking reason. Oh, yeah. And I would rate it one. <laughs> ghost plots that are there but unresolved for no fucking reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, care to elaborate or do you want to let your your uh, review up to now speak for itself? Yeah, I think my review of now. <laughs> you know what? It's been a long time since I've read a book um, that wasn't for a podcast. <laughs> I think it's putting me off reading because I oh, no. exclusively read books I do not enjoy for podcasts. Oh, no. That's miserable. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know what? You know what? It's, uh, it's keeping the brain going. All right. You know, it's, it would just be mush otherwise. <laughs> Great. Uh, all right. I also, I fully have the option to read books when I uh have not had a friend ask me personally to read it by a deadline and I do not take them up on that fair enough <laughs> that's on me <laughs> uh so now uh before we say goodbye I like to give my listeners the option to balance out their literary diet mm-hmm. with some recommendations of some books that are not by Brady Stanellis and ideally not even by a white man at all um so my recommendation for this episode, I just finished reading this book. It is called uh, Brett Easton Ellis and the Other Dogs by Lena Wolf. Um, and it doesn't have very much to do with Brett Easton Ellis, but thematically, maybe it kind of does. Um, read it and find out. It's, it's a very well-written story. Um, it's by an author who, I think she's Norwegian, if I'm remembering correctly, and it was uh, somewhat recently translated into English. Um, and it is a, a story about femininity, about uh, about women uh, being active. Um, it's a story in which men are pretty irrelevant um <laughs> I'm not gonna try to I'm not gonna try to lay out the plot because I think it's a book that uh that doesn't it, it, that's not gonna give it its best showing but it's a very it's very well written it's really good um and I, I, I highly recommend it um the author clearly has a deep disrespect for Reddy Stanellis mm-hmm. that I don't completely share but I partially share <laughs> and um and it's a delightful read so it's called Brady Stanellis and the Other Dogs uh, by Lena Wolf. It's uh, adapted into English by some man, but in the spirit of the novel, I didn't learn his name, and I'm not going to repeat it to you now. Just look, just look it up. Uh, Sarah, what would you like to recommend to our listeners? Um, as far as books go, uh, don't read. Haven't don't know what a book is. I'll be I'll be real upfront about that. Uh, <laughs> I read every Gillian Flynn novel, and I will say uh, I will recommend to you Dark Places because it is the most unpleasant one and the one I enjoy the least, and I feel like that if you liked Imperial Bedrooms, <laughs> uh, you will like uh, Dark Places. It um, generally actually not that gross about sex stuff so much as like the general horror of, oh, there's some gross sex stuff. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a deeply unpleasant book about sad people, but you know, poor people and women. So, mm. yeah, right. <laughs> very nice. A little twist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. I meant to bring it up, but I never did. So I'm just gonna throw it in now. Rain Turner is like the only character in any Brady Stanellis ever who has a service industry job because she's a hostess at a restaurant like everybody else loses it and she loses it yeah (laughs) everybody else he's ever written has just been like a dj slash club owner who's living off their chest fund or whatever yeah i 
that's all that's so funny also because it's um i think it's mentioned that one of her boyfriends got her that job and i right. th- i think rip got her the job yeah and it's very funny to me that maybe Fred Estanellis knows so little about <laughs> other industries that he assumes that you, like, also need to fuck a guy to get a job as a hostess. That's really funny. I didn't think <laughs> like, about that. Like, he... <laughs> like, if you if you uh, work at a bank, he's... Uh, if you become a teller, he's like, man, how, what did you do to get this? <laughs> oh Worked your God. way up from a, a door guy at the bank. And it's like, that's not how jobs work. <laughs> Oh, my God, that is so funny. Yeah, I really was like, oh, it must be, like, the most exclusive restaurant. He probably just doesn't know how jobs work. Probably. His only job ever has been writer. He's never had another job. Um, I mean, probably it is supposed to be a very fancy place where working as a hostess is, like, you know, good tips and good exposure or whatever. But I I am... Tickled by the idea yeah. that, like, he also thinks you need to fuck someone to become, like, assistant principal. <laughs> there's just 100% no, there's no industry that is ex- excluded from this. Yeah, absolutely. Sarah, thank you so much for being yeah. here. Uh, what would you like to plug? I would like to plug my podcast, which is, uh, it's called Arden. It is... A, it's a fictional podcast uh, or an audio drama. Um, it's uh, my like real quick pitch for it is that it's like if Serial was a workplace comedy. <laughs> <laughs> it's about uh, two women who are funny uh, and flirt a lot and like have a lot of antagonism. A lot of stuff going on there uh, trying to solve a cold case about a missing starlet. But... Uh, yeah, they are funny. The actual case is very serious. <laughs> so a little bit of everything for everybody. Um, and you can find that if you search for Arden, uh, A-R-D-E-N, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, I know you can listen to podcasts. <laughs> I am on to you. Um, um, I also have an upcoming uh, podcast that's uh, not fictional. It's uh, called Historical Hookups, and you can follow us at Historical Hooks at Twitter. Uh, we're not out yet. We're in a pre-production, but it is uh, me and three of my very funny female friends uh, research a historical figure and their sex life, <laughs> and then we gossip about their sex life, and it is a good time is had by all. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. follow me on twitter i'm at katie l Wright. you can follow the podcast at brett easton pod um and check out some of our awesome brother and sister podcasts here on the major casts network uh if you like book podcasts and deep dives into uh, authors um check out king me our stephen king podcast hosted by tom lockney it's the best i'm on the episode about christine go listen to it <laughs>